Hey, it's good to see you all here today. Let me just shift gears a little. My name is Tom. If I haven't met you, I'd love to. I'm one of the pastors here. Hey, I got a question, opening question for you. If you won 10,000 bucks, who would you tell? Shout it out. Who would you tell? Everyone. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. Facebook, yes, you plaster over. Do you know? I mean, you don't have to say it, but do you know who you'd tell immediately? If you won 10,000 bucks? But here's the real question. Who wouldn't you tell? Facebook? <laughs> Kids? <laughs> you know, who wouldn't you tell? Well, in this summer series, we've been hearing uh, Jesus tell us a whole bunch of kingdom stories. Thanks, Amanda. Tell us a bunch of kingdom stories. Uh, he's been giving us insight into what God is doing in the world, how God works. And, and back in, in the series, Jesus uh, treated us to a couple of treasure stories. And today, he caps off this whole section that's together in, the, in, in, in Matthew 13. He caps it off with another uh, treasure story. Now, treasure is a funny thing, isn't it? If you've read history, or maybe you've even yourself have felt a little bit, you know, when people find something valuable, something happens to them, doesn't it? When, when people win the lottery, when they set off seeking after a long-forgotten treasure, when they suddenly come into money, people can lose their minds. How many of you have read some of the history of, like, the Klondike Gold Rush? Sheer lunacy would happen when people suddenly felt like they were going to get in on a treasure. But what would it be like? What would it be like to discover a really magnificent hoard, hopefully without a dragon on top of it? What would it be like to discover a treasure like that? I mean, what would you do? What would you do with it? Who would you tell? What, was it, what would you be your next step? Here's the thing. In this little series that we've been doing over the summer, this, these kingdom stories, we who have been hearing these stories have actually been already given access to a fabulous treasure. I mean, Jesus actually told, as I mentioned, two treasure stories. And in these earlier stories, remember the one about the guy who trips over a treasure in a field? Doesn't own the field. He was trespassing, apparently. And then so he went and bought the field off the guy who didn't know the treasure was there, sold everything he had to buy that field. And then there was a parallel story with the merchant looking for fine pearls, discovers the one, sells everything he has to buy it. And they both tell us the very same point, that this kingdom treasure is worth everything that you and I have. A bit earlier in this set of stories, Jesus told his, his core group of disciples that they had been given special knowledge. Special knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom. Knowledge that others didn't know. And we, as people who've been able to sit in on these stories now, we actually find ourselves in the same spot. Gifted with special, valuable secrets. But why? Let me ask the question. What's the point? What do we do with it? Now that we have this, you could say, treasure trove of special insight. I mean, do we bury it deep? Do we kill everyone who found it with us? <laughs> do, we, do we just plan a trip around the world for us and our friends? What do we do? Well, that's actually where we're going today in this final kingdom story. 
Matthew 13, Jesus gives us this one final treasure parable to wrap everything up. And then Matthew does something interesting. He then shows us what it's looked like to be a player in the kingdom story by actually relaying a difficult experience that Jesus had in his own hometown. We're going to dive into it. I had it printed on the insert in your bulletin so you can follow along or in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 13, about halfway through the first book of the New Testament. So Jesus has been sharing these kingdom stories with these big crowds, and then in private, he's been explaining all of the meanings of these stories to his closest followers. Do we remember what those stories are? Do you remember? It's kind of... Can we shout them out real quick? What are, what are just, just a nutshell of the stories that we've been hearing this summer? What are they? The weeds and the wheat? Like the wheat and the weeds? Yep. Yeast and leaven or leaven? What else? Mustard seed? Say again. The pearl? The soils? That was the first one, right? Yeah. The big one. What else? That's five. Few more. So with the pearls, there was the, the other treasure one, right? And then the, last week there was the net, the net, net of fish, right? And, and now we come after telling all these kingdom stories and explaining. Jesus asks sort of the million dollar question that every teacher wants to know the answer to. He says to his disciples, "Have you understood all these things?" Ask that in any given you know high school class. What will you get? Well, how would you have answered? You know, Jesus has just been telling these stories and explaining them to you. And, and then he turns to you and says, so do you get it? Do you understand all everything I've said? Do you understand it? <laughs> uh, you just sort of look to the person next to you and think, do you, do you guys get it? Did you get it? You know, what are you supposed to say? Maybe, could you run them by me again? Jesus, I may not have been fully paying attention somewhere in the middle there. Well, the disciples, they say, yes, yes, we get it. Everything you've taught us, we understand. Did they? Actually, if you read the rest of Matthew's story, it it may suggest that it's a bit of yes and uh, a bit of no. Later, Later in the same story, Jesus is frustrated with how dull the disciples are. He says so. Time and time again, they prove that they did not, in fact, fully understand what Jesus was saying. They didn't fully understand what Jesus was doing, which I think should give us some comfort, right? Anyone feel comforted by that? Yes. So, but here it is. In the middle of it all, though, they are beginning to understand. These disciples are like the fertile soil in the parable where the seeds that Jesus is planting in them, it is growing. It might be small, but it's growing. Have you understood all these things? Now, it's a good question for us to ask, isn't it? I mean, at the end of a summer series like this, where we've been diving in, I I know it's hit and miss over the summer, but hopefully you've had a chance to listen in online. You've been tracking with the series. So I think I should just ask all of you. I mean, have you understood everything you've been taught this summer? Do we, as a church, understand what Jesus is teaching about God's kingdom, about the way he's at work in the world, about how we need to live and act and speak and share as his kingdom people? Do we understand? Who would say, yes, don't be shy, put your hand up. Who would say, yeah, I get it, I understand. You guys are not bold at all. 
Who would say, I have no idea what he has been talking about this summer? Or Tom, the, you know, Dana actually did most of the teaching, so I think we can blame her. It, who, who? So you say no. How many of you would say maybe? Like sort of, I think I kind of getting it, yes, but I do need Jesus to run over it. A few run over me or whatever. A few more times. Yeah. Well, here's the good news. However we answer the question, there's actually a direction to go in this story. We said no. We don't get it, which looks like, you know, we're somewhere in the middle. It's no problem. We keep coming back to Jesus. That's what the people in the story did. We keep reading the Gospels about who Jesus is. We get to know his life and his ministry and how he interacts with people and what he said about himself and others and God and life. We keep sitting under good teaching. We keep interacting with each other and trying to understand what is Jesus saying to us. How should we respond? We're like the disciples who keep coming back to Jesus and saying, okay, you told us a story. I do not know what it meant. Could you please explain it to us? Jesus loves keen questioners. Now, if you answered yes, we'll get to that. Jesus actually gives us a commission, responsibility to share what we know, to point others to Jesus, to invite people to come with us as we continue to learn about Jesus ourselves. Now, where am I getting all this? Well, from Jesus himself. Look at where he goes next. When his disciples say, I think a bit boldly, bolder than you folks anyway, says, yes, we understand everything you've been teaching us, then Jesus says to them, okay, therefore, Every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. See what Jesus is doing here? It's super interesting. He doesn't quibble with disciples because he could have said, no, 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 no. I can see the glassy look in your eye. You know, I knew you were napping. He could say all that, but he doesn't. He doesn't quibble with them. Even if he knows or understanding still needs to grow, he takes them at their word and he calls them then to take ownership and responsibility for their new special knowledge, what's been revealed to them by Jesus. Because he's been giving them secrets. He's been lending them special insight. He's been providing for them, not for others, for them, private instruction. He's been helping them really get this new thing that God was doing in Jesus. And they're now in a special class. They're, I mean, in this parable, they're, they're called teachers of the law who become disciples of the kingdom of heaven. It's like a serious professional upgrade for these backcountry fishermen boys from Galilee. And Jesus makes no bones about it. He says, kingdom disciples are now responsible to share the treasure they've received. And these guys, you know, Pete and John and Bart and Matt and Jimmy and J.I., they've been granted special status as curators of this treasure trove. They are like owners of a house who bring out of the storeroom new treasures as well as old. Does anyone want to hazard a guess of what these new treasures as well as old might be? Well, I think it's simply this. These disciples of Jesus, who are now disciples of the kingdom of heaven, they've been learning from the king himself, from Jesus. They've been given access to the biggest secret of all. How Jesus, who is the new treasure, has come to make good on all of God's promises to his people. That's the old treasures. And they come together 
And these, uh, these young men have been granted special insight into how God is working out his plan to instill, install his everlasting king. The king he promised would come long ago and has now come true in Jesus. And this hidden secret that Jesus has given them is actually designed to be blasted from the rooftops by his followers. Everywhere they go. All these kingdom stories are about how God is at work through Jesus to make his plan complete. A plan that's been hidden. A plan that's been a mystery. It's the good news story that these very disciples will be, by the end of the story of Matthew, they will be commissioned by Jesus to go out into all the world and preach the gospel, share this good news about Jesus, to make disciples, to to baptize them and instruct them in the teaching of Jesus. Like owners of a fabulous treasure trove, these guys are going to wow the world by bringing out of the storehouse incredible treasure, the good news of Jesus, how God is at work in the world. And he's going to share it with anyone who's willing to receive it. Well, that's all fine and good, but as we see, sharing the treasure of who Jesus is is not always received as well as you think. It's free, it's magnificent, it's an unimaginable treasure, and yet somehow it or he can be rejected. In fact, Jesus can be even a bit offensive. How's that? Well, that's actually where Matthew takes us next. It's like Matthew wants us to see how now sharing this kingdom knowledge, this kingdom treasure, looks like in real life. And it's not always rosy. Let's read on. When Jesus had finished telling these parables, he moved on from there. So it's a clear transition in the story. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, which was like a gathering place uh, for the devout, where they'd sit and they'd listen to to the Torah, to the scripture being read, and they would learn and ask questions. So he began teaching the people in their, in their gathering, in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Well, so far, so good. Jesus is teaching. They're amazed. They're impressed. It's like the treasures out in the open, the, the new, the old. It's coming together, and people are impressed. And we've got to assume here that Jesus is teaching both in parables, because Matthew's pretty clear that he only taught in parables. But also, earlier in Matthew, we have the Sermon on the Mount, which is this very significant teaching of Jesus where he's revealing his authority to interpret God's law. And to tell the people how God's kingdom is now coming and has come in him. And he must have been healing people because these hometown boys, they, they, they ask, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? All throughout the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament which feature the life of Jesus, Jesus reveals who he is the Son of God and the Son of Man, what he has come to do. He reveals what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like by doing two things, really two things. He teaches and he heals or delivers people from demons, but there's a power encounter with healing, with deliverance. But he's healing and he's teaching. And we see him doing this now back home. And you'd think that'd be enough, wouldn't it? I mean, it'd be pretty shocking. The hometown hero, Jesus is back. Blowing people's minds with how he's, what he's saying, what he's doing. I mean, it's incredible. It's this insightful, authoritative teaching and this powerful, life-changing healing. It's incredible. Isn't that what everyone's been looking for? 
You'd think that everyone there would have been eager, would have been leaning in, would have wanting to receive, wanting to hear more, you know, leaving their work untouched for days because Jesus is teaching down the street and they're drinking in every moment they can get with Jesus. Wouldn't you think? But that is not what happened. Instead, the hometown ground gets a bit cynical, gets offended. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this his mother's name Mary or something? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, Judas? Aren't his sisters here with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. This is the equivalent of saying, who does he think he is? You know? I changed his nappies when he was young, you know? I saw you learning to use the saw, boy, when you were growing up. I remember when your family rolled into Nazareth, poor as church mice. Now look at him. Getting all uppity and superior, as though he's something special, and we should all follow him. Right. It's a sad day. People who really, I mean, look what they were, look what they had access to. People who got in on this incredible treasure of what God was doing in Jesus, they just rejected him outright. Maybe his teaching is amazing, they would say. Maybe he does have miraculous powers, but that doesn't mean he's anything special and I need to follow him. It doesn't mean I need to acknowledge he's someone, you know, divine or messianic or, you know, nah. And so Jesus says to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Incredible tragedy, isn't it? Think about it. It's as though everything Jesus has been saying about these parables has just been fleshed out in front of us. I mean, if you contrast just the the, the characters you see in the story, you contrast the disciples with the the hometown crowd, you kind of get the spectrum of responses that are contained in these kingdom stories of Jesus. It's like the parables have come to life. And the disciples, we're seeing fertile soil. We're seeing growth. Well, they may not be all the way along, but it's happening. In contrast to the hard or rocky or weedy soil in Jesus' own hometown. You know, we see wheat growing, but, oh, shoot, there's some weeds too. The growing transformative power of the kingdom, it's present, and yet, Kind of like a mustard seed, kind of like yeast. It's, it's hidden. It's there, but people aren't seeing it. It's like a treasure hidden in a field that they're missing. Even the nets full of both good and bad fish are just played right out as contrasting how people are responding to the good news that Jesus is king. And the contrast is really stark. And it all hangs on one thing, how people respond to Jesus himself. Not just his teachings, not just his healings. Those were designed to point people to who he was. How people respond to Jesus as a person, as a man, as the king, as the son of God, as the Messiah. And what we discover in that exchange is, is very revealing, that, that this transformative, life-changing power of Jesus, like the good seed or like the mustard seeds or like the yeast, it will only work its full power when people are willing to get in, willing to receive Jesus himself. Not just his teaching, not just his miracles or his gifts, 
And in fact, Jesus couldn't heal much because people weren't willing to trust him, weren't willing to place their faith in him. Not intellectual faith, but a, a life faith. Because it was all about Jesus. All these kingdom stories reveal who he is, leading people who would listen close enough to Jesus that they begin to discover for themselves that, oh, wait a minute, he's the treasure. He's worth everything. But will they see it? Will they come to him? Will they receive? That question is left hanging in the air at the end of Matthew 13. We see this played out again and again. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, though powerful, though transformative, though life-giving, doesn't force or push or overrun people who don't want Jesus. It's the receptive who receive. It's the open who hear. It's those who have that get more. It's the curious who discover the treasure. But resist Jesus, reject his offer, get offended by the idea that I've got to somehow believe in him. Jesus won't force himself on anyone. The glorious power of God's kingdom is actually affected by whether or not people are willing to trust him, believe in him, place their faith in him. Well, for our application today, we need to go back, of course, to Jesus' main question. Have you understood all these things? Have you understood all these things? Wow, that is a question worth leaving with today. I mean, why would you, for those of you who regularly come to the Erickson Covenant Church, and like, why would we spend all this time listening to the teaching of Jesus and not pause to ask, have I actually gotten it? Like, do I get what he's saying? Do I understand what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to respond? Have you understood all these things? If your answer is yes, at least in part, then we are responsible to share it. This is what Jesus does. We're called to embrace our responsibility. You are sitting, think of it, just just try to wrap your mind around this. You are sitting on the greatest treasure trove in history. It makes what they discovered in national treasure a pittance. Nothing compared to the treasure that you and I have as we have received and understood who Jesus is. And you get to be the person. You know, we all love to give great news, right? You get to be the person who trots out this treasure to people willing to hear it. You get to be the person who sees the amazed look on some people's faces who are willing to to actually lean in and discover who Jesus is. You get to keep showing off Jesus. And what's beautiful about this is you can do it both with pride and humility. Pride because that's some awesome treasure. And humility because, let's be honest, (laughs) you didn't earn it. You just kept showing up and Jesus handed it to you and you got in on this amazing treasure. And Jesus says, would you just go and share it? In fact, you've got responsibility. Like a curator of a treasure trove to share this with others. It's yours to share. If you say no, or I'm not sure, well, that's okay too, because you're here. You're here, and I hope you're hearing. 
And the, the, the invitation is to keep coming back to Jesus, to keep asking and seeking and knocking. And I'll let you in on a little secret. Even those of us who say, yep, I get it, have to actually keep coming back to Jesus too. We don't just walk away with the treasure and forget about who it actually is. We are all more like the disciples in Matthew than we like to admit. We need to all keep coming back to Jesus to keep learning from him, to keep learning from him and coming to him and being connected to him, even as we are sharing him with others. This is why, just a side note, this is one of the reasons why we as a congregation, and certainly Dana and I, are so committed to always coming back to the gospel stories as a community. We believe in the whole scripture. We've got to keep coming back to Jesus, learning from Jesus, understanding what it means to be under Jesus and submitted to Jesus and following him, being part of his kingdom story. And this is why the gospels are so significant. In conclusion, friends, the treasure is real, more real than anything we can imagine. And if you're a person who's been seeking for significance, who's been seeking for meaning, for direction, and for life, maybe you've been hunting high and low to what would it be that would make the difference in my life. And I'm here to tell you that you need look no further than Jesus himself, the greatest person who ever lived and who still lives for you. And so the invitation for anyone who is seeking is to come on in, to sit down. Let us share the treasure that Jesus is with you, that Jesus is himself the key to life, the way to freedom. He is God come to be with us and for us. And then, for many of you, I know, you have discovered, maybe you're just grappling with what it means, but you have discovered the unfathomable wonder of Jesus. I know you have. And if you are in that place as a follower of Jesus, do you know what you've been gifted with? Do you know what you're sitting on? Do you know what you really have? You are now the curators of the most incredible, fabulous treasure. Jesus, the treasure who was worth everything that any of us could ever give, and yet we receive so much more. And yet he's so inexhaustibly huge that he is able, unbelievably, to be shared with everyone else so that everyone, anyone, man, woman, child of any nationality, language, down through history, changing these lives of anyone who's willing to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. You're the treasure I've been seeking for. The storehouse is open, Jesus says. The treasure is real. The invitation for all of us is to see who we can amaze, who we can wow with Jesus, who is the greatest treasure of all, who has given everything of himself to us so that we can live life to the sitting on a treasure. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the treasure. In you are hidden all the riches of wisdom and grace and power. You who created this world, who breathed life into us, who came and became one of us and lived the life that we couldn't live and revealed your Father to us through your mighty acts of power and your wonderful teaching, but ultimately through your life given for us on the cross and then on the third day rising again, defeating the powers of death and evil and sickness and rising again to show us that life now can be lived to the full in you. You are the treasure. 
And we stand absolutely amazed that you're a treasure given to us freely. Not because we earned it, but because you love us. And you've invited us into your life to share in this treasure and to then share it out. And Lord Jesus, I ask two things today as we close. That we as a community would truly grasp you as our treasure. That we would let that sink down deep. That somehow we would, we would be open to the incredible revelation that you are everything and worth everything. And letting that sink into our hearts and our lives, letting that reshape our priorities and our thoughts, Lord Jesus, that then we would discover the joy of being curators of you and the treasure old and new and being able to share with others the amazing reality of you, Jesus, inviting people to follow you with us as we ourselves continue to follow you. We want to be people of your treasure, people who share it. Would you send us now with that in our hearts and minds and reshaping our lives? In your name we pray. Amen. Well, God be with you today. Now listen, I'm going to share. do you know people like to get married? Did you know that? They like to get married often far away. I'm still waiting for somebody to invite me to Mexico to do their wedding, but that hasn't happened yet. But I just want to tell you, for the next two weekends, even though I'm here during the week and working on stuff, getting ready for fall, next two weekends I am on two destination weddings. Yeah, one's to Grand Prairie. Yep, destination weddings. A dear friend of mine's daughter, who's a very special young woman to me, has asked if I would do her wedding, and I am overjoyed to do that. And so I'll be there shortly after, it's actually just after church on Sunday, we're doing uh, her wedding up in Grand Prairie. And so be gone next Sunday, I'll miss you. Be praying for you and really looking forward to hearing the stories that have come out of this series. And then, believe it or not, the following weekend I'm doing the most remote wedding I've ever done in Meadow Creek, B.C. Way up at the top of the lake, uh, in the middle of nowhere, also be doing a wedding. So for the next two Sundays, I'll miss you. I mean, it really will. Uh, but know that I'm out there doing my job, uniting people in holy matrimony. And uh, I look forward to joining back with you in early September. Uh, but gather as you can. I know over the next couple of weeks we're a hit and miss, but gather as you can because we love to worship and to share together. God bless. Hope you can join us at coffee time.